I was reading one time a book by, I think it was Tozer, and he was talking about introductions. And he said, there's only one thing worse than being introduced in such a wonderful way, and that is how good I feel about it when it's being given. <laughs> anyway, but after such an introduction, it, there's kind of only went one way, and that's, that's down, isn't it? <laughs> I am blessed with a wonderful heritage, and I praise the Lord for that. Um, but as I've told many people, um, spirituality is not genetic. It's something that... Uh, we all have to, uh, we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. So I am blessed with a wonderful Christian heritage that have given me wonderful examples of Christian service, and I praise the Lord for that. And I pray that um, whatever legacy that God has given you, uh, you may find yourself that the legacy that you were given is not a positive one, but you have the opportunity to change that and pass a positive legacy to your children and your grandchildren. Amen. Um, interesting, you know, my, my, uh, time with Rob is, it's been a joyful friendship. We got to know each other serving Pastor Don, um, not the easiest years of our lives, neither of ours, (laughs) but, uh, certainly one of the most beneficial times of our lives. And so many of the lessons that I have, uh, that have kept me going certainly have been simply watching Pastor Don um, uh, go through uh, the trials that he's endured. And uh, certainly having Pastor Rob there provided the comic relief for it all, right? (laughs) In fact, whenever, you know, being in Africa for all these years, Pastor Rob would come at very, he didn't know it was, but but critical times. And uh, he certainly gave us that comic relief during times when life just felt kind of overwhelming. And so... um, I praise the Lord for him. I praise the Lord for you and your prayers that you have um, been praying for us these years. One thing you, you might want to know is that when Pastor Rob was there last time, he got to know that in Uganda, the way they address the mayor is his worship. And he got it in his mind. He's like, I think I want to become mayor because that sounds like a really good title. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's not true. I, I just, uh, I do joke with him about that. I said, so from now on, do I have to call you your worship? <laughs> anyway, um, it's good to be here. And uh, Pastor Rob gave a, a good general introduction of my background, and I won't spend time going back into that. But uh, we have been uh, in Uganda for the last 14 years. We've raised our family there. We have three sons. Our oldest son, Alec, is thankfully graduated from university, and he has a job, and that's, uh, that's a praise. Feels like a very big accomplishment. Our second son, Jonathan, is in San Luis Obispo, hoping to also go to Cal Poly, and he's going to ju- uh, junior college right now. And then Nathaniel, who was our youngest, he, he was only five when we went to Africa, and in the course of our years in Africa, he grew to love soccer, football, they call it there. Uh, it became a passion of his, and we always joke because now he got a scholarship, and we say that he plays soccer and goes to university on the side. So <laughs> he's at uh, Azusa Pacific. Um, when Pastor Rob asked me to share, certainly it's a privilege. 
uh, I would say we've been there and we've come back again. And it certainly is appropriate to give a testimony as we have come back, to give a testimony of what God has been doing in our lives as we have ministered as missionaries for the last nearly 14 years. And not only to share the testimony, but to share a few of the many lessons. I would say we aren't the same people. When you serve as a missionary, especially in a community like that, you can't come away but be changed, but be different people. And um, I pray that we're better people. And if we are better people, it's certainly only because of the grace of God um, that allows us to be so. But God has um, impressed upon us a lot of lessons and uh, that we have learned in the course of ministry, in the course of making mistakes, in the course of uh, serving the Lord. And um, that's really what is on my heart to share with you this morning. In the book of Acts, chapter 14, beginning in verse 26, some verses that... Uh, have been dear to me as a missionary uh, over the past years when I was a missions pastor, but I was always impressed as Paul shares his uh, talks about the end of his first missionary journey. He says, from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. And when they gathered, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the doors of faith to the Gentiles. I don't know about Bilbo's journey to slay the dragon, but in July of 2004, our family was prayed for out of Calvary Chapel, San Jose, and um, we headed to Africa. And it is important for us, even as it was important for Paul to come back to the church in Antioch, as we are coming back and we are ending that chapter of our life, that we come back to the place that we began and we testify to what God has done. And while we do have a home church, that was Calvary Chapel, San Jose, there have been many churches, this being one of them, that have been very instrumental, uh, actually crucial. You may not know all the ways that uh, your church has blessed us over the years, but nonetheless, we recognize um, the help, the support that have come from this church through you, through Pastor Rob, and uh, both my wife and I want to say thank you um, because you, whether you know it or not, have been in fellowship with what we are doing. As Paul says in Philippians 1.5, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you for your fellowship in the gospel. And as you partner with us, as you partner with other missionaries, um, there's a work that you may not be knowing that is going on, but in fact, you are, you are in fellowship with that work. And um, I believe there will be a reward that you will one day see, that a reward of people, a reward of souls that you will be blessed um, to have been a part in, in bringing to heaven. So we are thankful we're thankful for the wonderful supporting churches that we have left and that we have come back to. Several years ago, uh, about three or four years ago, we began to feel the Lord prompting us to uh, eventually come back 
to the United States. And this was through the circumstances that were going on in our lives and our families' lives, uh, through counsel and wisdom of those that we consider to be our pastors. Um, but nonetheless, we felt that our time in Africa was coming to an end, and we began that process of transitioning back uh, to the United States. And obviously, this transition didn't have to do just with moving our belongings and ourselves back here, but turning the whole ministry over uh, to national leadership. And over the course of years, obviously, the ministry was largely run but um, by a national leadership, but running a ministry that... Uh, I wouldn't say it's complex, but it, it's very diverse and it requires a lot of oversight. Um, wasn't it easy? It was a school that has a medical ministry, a, 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 a discipleship program, a farm. There was a lot going on. And so over the last three or four years, we've been going through that process. And, and it was about a year ago that we were here. And I remember uh, as I was on the plane, it was, it was uh, December 31st of last year. And I remember just going back, and I, I admit I was overwhelmed with the task of head of me because I knew that in my nine months, we planned to be back here. And in my, in my journal, I just began to write, okay, Lord, if you want me to do this, these are all the things that we need to have done. And it was recently when we were leaving, and I just went back through my journal, and I just looked at all these things that I had written down. And I'm not kidding you, every single one of them was answered. And I was just so thankful. And both my wife and I are here just in gratitude to God for how he has been so faithful to us and um, how he has answered so many prayers and enabling us to come back. Um, there were times, and I think my wife can testify that having gone to Africa, that we would never leave. <laughs> and um, in any case, the fact that we went was a testimony. The fact that we're back here is a testimony as well. And as much as we felt the Lord leading us to go 14 years ago, it is with that same feeling that we, we come back. Um, it was about the last Sunday that I was there, I gave my final sermon, and Pastor Isaac came up and he says, I, wanna, I want you to come and we're going to pray for you. Because we know that even as you were sent here, and there was a church that sent you here, we want to be sending you back. And we know that America needs missionaries. So we're going to send you back as our missionaries to America. So, <laughs> so that was a blessing. And uh, know that whenever I go to Africa, they appreciate the fact that you here in America are praying for them. Know that also you have people in Africa that are praying for you and that covet your prayers and they covet your thoughts as well. So my wife and I are currently in San Jose and we are serving in the church that sent us out. Uh, was the church that Pastor Don, where I served Pastor Don and where Pastor Mike took over. And uh, so now we're there. Uh, the church is, has a need for uh, us to come alongside and help for a season. So that's where we're going to be um, for the time being. If you want to know what 14 years in Africa does to you, uh, this was us in 2004 with our family. Um, I know that some of you have heard parts of the testimony that I'm going to share, maybe through Pastor Rob. I'm not sure. I think I was here on a Wednesday. I know it was at the other building. Um, I'm not sure if I've ever shared from this pulpit. So if it's repeat information, forgive me, but I pray that whatever I share today uh, will bless you. Um, and especially just some of the lessons, the simple, they're not, 
necessarily profound, but they are certainly true. And there are certainly lessons that we need to be reminded of. We, were, we went to Uganda in 2004. And um, we went because my wife and I always had a heart to serve on the mission field. And for a long time, we just didn't, we simply didn't know where. And speaking for my wife, while she was willing, Africa was kind of the black spot that she wouldn't consider necessarily. <laughs> um, there were other parts that uh, we considered going, we thought we were going to go to South America and Europe. But, and I knew that I was never going to ask my wife to go to Africa. It would have to be God that would ask her, ask her to go there. But the amazing thing is, is that God worked on the heart of my wife. And I came back from a missions uh, uh, fellowship uh, conference. And she told me, Craig, I think the Lord is calling us to Uganda. And I didn't need much convincing. <laughs> I think I went and bought the tickets as soon as I could so that she wouldn't change her mind. But uh, in any case, the Lord used another missionary couple that was there to get us out there. Uh, we were going to go to northern Uganda. We were going to serve alongside and do some projects. And God uses interesting turns of events in our lives uh, for his purposes. And one of these was the fact that we got to Uganda. We had, as Pastor Rob said, we sold our house. We pretty much dissolved our life in, in America. And we head there and we get there. And literally the first day, the missionaries that we went to serve told us we're leaving the mission field. And we were left a little bit bewildered. But we weren't, I would say, shaken. We knew, you know what, Lord? You got us here for a reason. And so we know we're supposed to be here. We just don't know exactly what we're supposed to do. And so while I would never recommend for a missionary to do that to another missionary, <laughs> I am certainly thankful to that couple because God used them to get us on the mission field. Arriving in Uganda in 2004, we didn't necessarily know what we were getting ourselves into. Like I said, I was the missions pastor at Calvary Chapel San Jose at the time. I had been leading trips to northern Uganda. But here we were in Kampala and in Tebe and largely didn't know exactly what we were going to do. I was going to be teaching at a Bible college. My wife was teaching in a, in a school. Um, but as we became immersed, we began to see what Uganda was like. And we were confronted by a nation and a people that due to 30 years of upheaval, of war, of terror, of disease, you know that you, you've heard of Idi Amin. Obviously, that whole saga happened there. You've heard of the LRA that happened there. You've heard of HIV, HIV AIDS that started there. The Zika virus, which I don't know if you guys, have you heard of Zika virus? That forest is about... 15 kilometers from Entebbe, you know? So a lot of the problem that we hear about and makes us fear Africa, a lot of it is stuff that has started right in that area. And that's what we were confronted with. And we were confronted by what a society looks like having gone through that. In the midst of that, as we were praying about what God was going to have us do, God led us to buy a piece of land. And... Um, I wasn't really interested in buying a piece of land. I was, at that time, a typical young Calvary Chapel pastor, and 
what you see here is kind of what I envisioned as the ministry I wanted to do. <laughs> a nice clean room, nice lights, a sound system that works. And uh, nonetheless, as we were pursuing what God wanted for us, he was leading us to buy not only a piece of land, but it was a garbage dump. It was uh, a place that was on the edge of town that was very expensive. And there was nothing in me that really wanted to do it. And it actually took me two years to come to the place where I said, gave in. And I said, okay, God, if this is what you want us to do. But what really pushed us over the edge, what really gave us, I would say, the courage to step out in faith and extend ourselves in such a way was a verse that God gave us really supernaturally, um, not in a weird way, but just in a very profound way from Isaiah chapter 58. And it's, it's a verse that I remember it was a Sunday night and I had been working to the day and I went to bed tired and I just felt God wake me up and tell me to open up the Bible. And I went back and I started reading what I thought I had already read earlier that day. And I found that this piece of scripture just, it was this, as if the Lord was speaking to me from, uh, through loudspeakers from heaven. But the verse says, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. And you'll be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You know, like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't searching out a ministry to the impoverished of the world. And yet, as I was reading this, I realized that that's what the Lord wanted us to do. And as we looked at Ugandan society, we saw so many broken foundations. We saw so many waste places. We saw uh, ruins that had come upon a society that had been just going through atrocity after terror, after war, after calamity. And like Pastor Rob said, Rob said, as a, as a church, as a believer, we don't always create the messes. Certainly, uh, we hope we don't, but we are all called to be part of the cleaning up process. Amen? And this is what the Lord was speaking to us about. And as I read this, I have to say this was the verse that gave us the courage to step out in faith. Believe me, to spend... $80,000 to buy an ugly piece of land. You have second thoughts, right? <laughs> and, uh, but it was really this verse that gave us the courage. And it has been this verse that has guided us and corrected us and encouraged us to continue these last um, 14 years. And I honestly have to say what has encouraged us most is as we watch something that we took as an instruction to us initially, we see God beginning to fulfill. We see that as we have extended ourselves in ways that we didn't know we could, we see how God has done the work. He has begun to build those waste places that are in their society, whether it be in family, whether it be in marriage, whether it be in society as a whole. As we see the young people, those from among you, 
begin to embrace principles of Scripture and begin to turn their lives around. And this brings me to, I would say, one of the most profound lessons that I think all of us need to learn. It's certainly a lesson that God um, teaches us more and more and never stops teaching us. And that is, God is faithful to keep his word. And I wonder if, if you can say amen to that. I think that's something that we all initially say amen, but, but have you ever experienced it to be true for yourself that when you step out in faith, in obedience to the word of God, whether it's to do something, whether it's to give to something, whether it's to say something, And it's because God is telling you to do so, because his word is telling you to do so. Can you say amen to the fact that he is faithful to keep his word? He is faithful to bring to pass what he said he would bring to pass. Psalm 37, verse 25, I think someone said it earlier today. It says, I have been young and now I am old and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging for bread. There have been many times on the mission field, and I, you know, uh, Scripture is full of examples of God looking for faithful men and women. And I've just come to see that when we walk in the Word and when we are faithful to keep His Word, there's nothing that can keep a faithful man or woman down. The Bible tells us that the gates of hell shall not prevail. And when we are faithful to walk in obedience, when we take the word of God literally and put it to practice in our life, nothing can keep you down. God will see you through because as your faith, it's, it's God who is in you that will keep you. Amen? Psalm 34 is another wonderful scripture, and it's a psalm of David. And it says, I will bless you at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord. He heard me. He delivered me from my fears. Verse six says, the poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him from his trouble. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Taste and see, verse eight, one of my favorite verses. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man who trusts in him. I would just encourage you, if you are young in the faith and you are wondering about what this whole Christian life experience is and you're wondering whether God can come through for you, 14 years later being on the mission field, I can tell you he will. You can't outgive God. You can't outserve. Uh, you can't go where Um, he won't go ahead of you. And I would just encourage you uh, to to see that, to desire to see that truth worked out in your own life. Well, from very humble beginnings on that uh, garbage dump, uh, we set up some tents. And uh, it took us about two months of just cleaning and burning and digging. Have you ever tried to clean a garbage dump that's been there for a long time? Um, It was a lot of work. And certainly there were a lot of onlookers, very curious what we were doing. Uh, We were white people and in a very Ugandan 
society. Not a, a lot of those children had never seen white people, amazingly. And so everyone was very curious, what are these people doing? But we planted a church there, and we began the ministry there. And, uh, you know, I don't necessarily know what, what the stresses that a pastor here in the United States has, but one of my biggest stresses was on Saturday nights because I would literally wonder, is the church, is the tent going to be there in the morning? <laughs> Such were the storms that could come. And literally five or six times our tents would be blown away. And you know, in Ugandan society, everything that happens has a spiritual meaning. And so when you come to church and the church is not there, of course, that has a spiritual context to it. And they begin to question, well, are you guys really the truth? You know, is this, <laughs> are you sticking around? But uh, I began ministering there with uh, a few of the young men that God had put before me in Bible school. And uh, we began ministering the word and we began praying. And as we saw the immense need that was around us, remember we're in one of the poorest parts of Entebbe. Um, literally, there's, there are so many problems, problems that were so overwhelming. I remember one of my first services, after the service, there was a line out the door for mainly women to pray. And I was like, wow, God, you're really using me. These people are all responding. And one after one, the women came up to me and said, Pastor, I need school fees. I need money. I need this. I need that. And I realized that they were looking at this foreigner and thinking, oh, he's the one that's going to solve my problems. And, and then I realized what, the, what I was up against. There were so many people who had real needs, physical needs, and those physical needs oftentimes become a barrier for them to hear the spiritual need that they have. And so we realized that we couldn't separate the physical and the spiritual as we pursued this ministry. Obviously, when Jesus was here, he ministered to both the physical man and the soul. And so prayerfully, we began to um, pursue seeing practical ministries grow and, and begin within the church. In the, about the second year, yeah, about two and a half years after we begun the church, the Lord had provided money for us to, to build a church, and we were thrilled, believe me. It wasn't even finished, and we were thrilled just to be under a roof that wouldn't be blown away by the wind. But um, it was at that, that dedication service, and it was a, definitely a celebration, uh, a lot of of the locals finally took us seriously when we had a building. For the two and a half years that we were there, we were in a tent. It was a temporary building. They thought, oh, these people, they're not serious. But when we had a building, finally people started to take us seriously. In any case, um, we're there, and I'm sharing just what I see the Lord doing, the amazing story of God prompting someone to buy a garbage dump and then realizing that God is going to use that as an illustration of what he wants to do in all of our hearts. You know, our hearts are all, in a sense, like a, a garbage dump that he needs to come to, he needs to redeem. And so I was sharing this story, and uh, the city councilman, who we invited to be a part of the ceremony, got up after me. And it was then that I found out the deeper truth of this place that we were on. 
And he, he said, Pastor Craig, that's a, a wonderful story that you're sharing about the garbage dump. And I appreciate that. But I, he said, I want you to know what this land used to be. And he says, I grew up in this area during the time of Idi Amin. And this place was the bush. It was the back part of Entebbe. It was a place not many people frequented. And it was the place where Idi Amin would bring people and he would use it as a killing field. And, um, and I was just, my, I remember if, if my jaw didn't drop open, it, it, I, I don't know, but I was just stunned because I remember the whole process and me struggling and not wanting to do this. And yet of all the places God would lead us to buy, it was not only a garbage dump, which was ugly, which people feared. Women certainly would fear to go there for fear of being accosted or raped. It was a killing field, a place where people's lives were brutally taken. That's the place that God wanted to choose to be the place where a church would be planted. And you know, this wasn't lost on them. All these people knew it. And one of the reasons why it was a garbage dump was because it had been a killing field. And you know, in African society, being very spiritual people um, who fear the spirits of the ancestors, it, was, it would be taboo in a sense to, to build on that piece of property. And it was then that I came to realize the significance of what God was doing. And, you know, that brings me to maybe one of the second, uh, the second point that I, I guess God has impacted me with, and that is you can't make up God's stories, can you? I think of some of the amazing stories in the Bible, and there's many, you know, ones like David and Goliath, obviously a very profound story, but there are so many obscure stories in the Bible Like the fact that David's great-great-great-grandmother Tamar posed as a prostitute to have relations with Judah, her father-in-law, in order to have a son. And somehow God would redeem that sordid story, and he would not even think it shameful to include both Judah and Tamar to eventually be ancestors to Jesus himself. You can't make up the stories that God has woven into his scriptures. And in this case, in our church, in a culture so ruled by fear, especially of curses and ancestral spirits and demonic activity, you know, while they acknowledge God, one of the amazing things about ministering is in Africa is it's the easiest thing in the world to go up and start a conversation about God, much different than here. Here you have to spend a two or three days just convincing someone that there is a God, if you can do it. There, you can just bypass that whole part of the conversation. You go straight to God. But the question is, okay, which God? And uh, so while they acknowledge God, they fear their fear of the devil and their fear of the spirit world and the, and the, the activity of ancestral spirits is most of the time more than their faith in God. And in this case of this piece of land, redeeming a garbage dump, a killing field, this became not planned by me. It was obviously what God wanted to do, an illustration, an illustration illustration of God's redeeming love, his power that transcends even the very things that they fear, their superstitions. And it, it really showed that whole, actually the the property itself showed the power of God over the fears that they had. 
And that was certainly something that uh, we could not make up. That was something that all came to light after the fact, and we were just left dumbfounded. Wow, God, you're amazing. But out of the word of God being taught at the church, God was able to, we saw so many of the promises set forth there in Isaiah for us, the, of the rebuilding of the foundations of their society, of the those from among you to rebuild the waste places. We, we saw God bringing to pass these things which he had promised. And it was those very things which became the strength to carry on. Believe me, there were many times where my wife and I wanted to quit. I remember a story of one of my first students in Bible college, a man that I dearly loved. And, you know, as a young, ambitious pastor, missionary, you know, you just, you just want to have a victory story. And I remember pouring my life really into this young man. And um, over the course of time, we found that um, he was actually sexually abusing a lot of the women in our church. And it was just beyond my belief that one of my pastors would be engaging in such activity. I just, I just couldn't imagine it. But it took us down one of, the, one of the hardest three years that we have ever experienced in our life. Because being a Mzungu, which means white pastor, um, and having this happen, it became a very public event that immediately was known in the whole community, not only in our community. We were getting phone calls and emails from Australia because this news had somehow reached them. And it was one of the most humbling things that has ever happened to me. But in the process of my wife and I wanting to do the right thing, especially by way of the girls that were, uh, that were abused in the process, it just uncovered a whole dark side that we had never seen before. And the people that we thought would support us through this ordeal actually turned against us. And they said, why are you bringing shame on the church? Why are you bringing shame on this man? You should just cover it up. You should pretend it didn't exist. You should, you know, those girls deserved it. And um, through this process, I mean, we received death threats. My wife was getting phone calls and... Um, it was a really hard time. And I remember just the only thing that sustained us during that time was just scriptures from the word of God. And during the course of the three-year court trial process, um, we just kept on going and going and kind of like things might, I don't know if they happen here, but we could tell that everything was stacked against us. And one by one, the, the cases against these girls were being derailed. And every time we'd go to court, uh, they wouldn't turn up. And one by one, their, their, their files were going missing. Until finally, at the end of it all, I, had to, I, I called up the IGG, the inspector, governor, governor of, um, the inspector General of Government, and I said, this is what's going on. And I'm surprised that in a country that says it is about supporting the cause of abused girls and women, that this is what's happening to us. And it was, there was a change of course. We got a new judge. And even as it was, it went on for two months. Uh, 
And finally, every person that was helping us dropped off until it was finally only the judge herself who tried the case. And I remember I wasn't there. My wife was there, but she she said it was the most unprecedented thing she had ever seen watching this judge go through this trembling, realizing who she's up against as she is standing up for these these two girls. And so at the end of that process, um, praise the Lord, though the cases against two of the girls was was dropped or lost, um, one of the girls um, did get justice. And, um, you know, it was just, again, showing us that when you stick to God's word and when you just found your trust in doing what God tells you to do, he will not fail you. Amen? He will not fail you. But um, as I said, over the course of the last couple of weeks, uh, years, uh, Pastor Isaac has been installed. He, initially, he was the assistant and he was the interim. This last April, he was finally installed as uh, the senior pastor and for the last nine months, I was kind of just, I stepped underneath him and I just served alongside of him as we were transitioning out. But the church is set, like I said, in a, in a very rough community. There's so many problems, but um, it's in the midst of the darkest dark that the light can shine the brightest, isn't it? And that's really in the, in the situation where you, there is so much poverty and disease and lack of education, lack of money, lack of jobs, when there's so many women and single mothers who have lost their husbands to death or war or their husbands have gone AWOL or there's been sexual abuse, there's so much corruption. It's in that that the church can have its most powerful and profound impact. And that that's kind of been... Um, again, one of the most profound lessons that I have learned, how the world needs the church. You know, I know in in American society, the church gets beat up, at least that's my impression, marginalized as unimportant. And I always think, I think it's amazing, if I were president, I would want to cut the church loose because here's here's an institution that is teaching people to be good, to be hard workers, to have character, to be honest. I wouldn't do anything that would hamper them. I would cut them loose. That's what our society needs. And, and yet here we find in, in our society today, especially here in America, what I see is it seems like at every chance they get, they're trying to hamper the church. But that shouldn't take away from who we know that we are and the, and the message that God has given us to share I've just come to so appreciate how God works through the local church. It's the bride of Christ described in Ephesians chapter five. And it's set, yes, it is set in the ugliness of our sinful and corrupt world. But the world needs the church. And what a joy it's been to watch a church grow up in that community where there was no church, where there was ugliness and chaos. And in the midst of that, you have order and peace. Isaiah 61, again, one of my favorite passages, which is continually bringing me back to what it is that I'm to be doing, um, what Jesus set forth for us to do. He says in Isaiah 61, as he was beginning his ministry, he said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This is what this was the mandate, or this is what the prophetic utterance of Jesus as he began his ministry. And it's certainly the mandate for us because the Bible tells us Christ in you is the hope of glory. And as we have Christ in us, our job, what God desires of us is that we also set forth into this world and we are taking this ministry into the world to comfort those who mourn, to bring beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise for the spirit of heaviness, beauty from ashes. You know, that's what we've so uh, wonderfully seen happen. As you set the local church into a chaotic community, we see beauty coming from the ashes in so many ways. And I would just encourage you, as the church here in America, don't forsake the church. There are so many who say, I don't need the church. I can do church on my own. Brothers and sisters, we need each other. You know, it's in this rough and tumble complex, this building as we get together. We don't necessarily like each other or get along with each other, but you know what? We need each other. It's, it's in this context that we, that we kind of sand each other down and make each other smoother, right? As we work our differences out, as we love each other, as we minister to each other. And it's in that process that we become that fragrance, fragrance of, of life to the world. Over the course of, of these past years, there have been many pastors that have been sent out, and uh, I just list them um, because, not that I want you to know their, to know their names necessarily, but um, ministry in Africa, especially, I mean, Entebbe is fairly easy compared to some of the places that these men go. Um, it's difficult. There are no jobs where these men are going. You know, they have to make their own living. There is no electricity. There is no water. You know, it's, it's really a sacrifice. And they're serving in places that you and I would never survive long-term. And so we need to pray for our brethren. We need to pray for our, the pastors in these areas because they are taking the gospel, that message that, that Christ wants to bring to the world, they're taking it to these places that we don't either have the opportunity or the desire or the ability to go. So I would just encourage you in general to pray for the pastors in these third world countries. I know that you know Pastor Fred well. He's, a, he's been a friend of mine for a long time. He's on the board of our church in Entebbe, um, a wonderful man. But I also, as you pray for him, pray for the other men that are there in places like that. We had the opportunity to go to Burundi um, this past April with, uh, uh, to do a, a pastor's conference. Um, that picture there is the stone where Stanley met Livingston. It's a, it's a marking stone. And uh, it's obviously changed. It's, it, there's not a lot of fanfare around it. It's just a stone with the words on it. But, um, you know, Stanley went to Africa uh, as a call of God on his life. And one of his main desires was to see the whole 
institution of slavery being brought to an end. And, you know, you see the fruit of a man who actually gave his life. Not long after this meeting, Livingston would die. But a hundred years, 200 years later, not quite 200 years later, we, we see a partial fruit of what he was able, what God put on his heart to do. And, you know, we never really know the outcome of our obedience. We don't, a lot of times, we don't have the opportunity to see the fruit. Livingston certainly didn't have the opportunity to see the fruit, but ultimately it did bear fruit. And we shouldn't, in this day and age when we desire immediate gratification and immediate feedback through social medias and so forth, so much of our motivation for doing ministry is what is the pat on the back we receive for doing it, right? And that's something we need to fight against. We need to push back against. And we need to be in ministry, not for what we get now, but for the reward that God will give us on that day. Amen? And um, that's a trend that I would say, especially in missions, we need to push back against. So much of modern missions is driven by social media and by the feedback that we get from social media. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but I do know, having been on the mission field a long time, that uh, that's the motivation for a lot of people who are serving, is just the pats on the back, the, the bennies that they get from just being out there. Let it not be in our heart. And if it is in our heart, let us confess it before the Lord and say, Lord, purify my motives in as I serve you. Quickly going through some of the ministries that have come through. Um, we started a school, uh, a school for children, um, because we saw that these children weren't getting an education, let alone a Christian education. And we really saw the necessity of giving them the tools and the foundation for, for building their life. And the Lord blessed that. Um, we have a school of about 450 students ministering in an area where a lot of people can't even afford, you know, the 20 or $30 a term, three months to go to school. This past April, we were able to dedicate this building. Um, it's a two-story building with uh, eight classrooms, a computer lab, and a library. And um, I can tell you it wasn't easy. Certainly as a church there of about 250, 300 people, our monthly tithes amount to about $1,500 a month. Um, this was not something that we could do. And I learned Again, another one of those lessons that I learned on the mission field that, you know, it's quite simple to go to, as the Western church, to go to some place like Africa and begin a ministry to meet a need. But long-term financial sustainability will, will always remain a problem. There are so many obstacles to it. And I remember the Lord taught me through the simple story of the, of the loaves and fish how when the disciples were overwhelmed with a need that they saw in front of them, they said, Lord, send them away. We don't have the means to feed these people. And what did Jesus say? He said, don't send them away. You give them something to eat. Bring what you have to me. And that story is such a powerful um, uh, illustration of how God wants us to respond. We don't all have the ability to meet the big needs, but you know, God does. And it's not that God wants to act independently of us. He wants to draw us into the solution. 
And so what does he want us to do? He wants us to participate. And um, I know in our church, I love how uh, in African culture, uh, when they're beginning a big project, they call everyone in and they, and they have an offering and everyone chips in their few shillings, you know, literally cents. But they're so happy because they're participating. And I think that's a wonderful truth to, for us to hold on to, that when we're doing ministry, we don't necessarily need to think about the whole need. God will, God will meet the need. He just wants us to bring what we have. And as we, we do our part, God will do his part. Amen. A couple other things that have been exciting in the ministry is the medical ministry, which is an outreach to the islands um, every week. There's over 100 islands in Lake Victoria, uh, thousands of people living in squalor. And medical ministry has been such a wonderful tool to take the gospel, to take uh, health, to take ministry to children, uh, to these, these people. Getting to these islands is, is always an adventure. I can tell you many wonderful stories of, of boats breaking in half and uh, barely getting back to shore. And um, yeah, so if you're up for a, if you need a few stories to add to your repertoire, uh, Africa is a good place to go. And uh, <laughs> um, along with the medical ministry, uh, we started a vocational training uh, school in a farm. Again, just giving people the opportunity to exercise the gifts. And as I was explaining, we had so many of these women who, who didn't have any means of supporting themselves. And it was through this ministry of the vocational school, teaching them how to build, how to make crafts and sew. It's just a radical testimony of change in their lives. And these women are different people to this day. And they're self-sufficient. They love the Lord and they... And they, they um, Praise the Lord for what he has done in their life. Um, we, at the farm, I share this with you because, uh, well, it'll come up, but we've built a guest house and a lot of the teams that go to Entebbe actually stay here in these, um, in these structures, which the church also, also uses as a way of uh, earning income. One of the last things that we did was, before we left, was we got, finally got our cafe going. And uh, in this community that we're in, obviously there's nothing like it, but uh, the youth in our church with not a lot of jobs, they wanted something that could be their own and they could run. And so we largely built this as a way of giving the youth an opportunity to work and use their creativity uh, to serve and to bring people into the church and to provide an income for the church. And I didn't actually have an opportunity to see it when it was done, but I was, I, I was involved in building it. But um, they just had the grand opening about three weeks ago, and um, I'm looking forward to going back in January and just to see how God is using that little spot in this corner of Entebbe to, to do ministry. And again, that's, I would just encourage you with this thought. There is so much joy and fulfillment as we use our creativity to share the gospel. You know, sometimes people think that ministry and missionary work is meant for a chosen few, and it involves going to another country. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he created beforehand, that we should walk in them. And to me, that speaks to the fact that not only are we created by God, but God has a set of good works that he wants us to walk in during the course of our life. And, it's, it's, and it is in the course of walking in those good works that we find purpose and fulfillment and joy in our life. And we're, we're putting our, ourselves in the place of being part of 
the kingdom being spread. Matthew 5, 16 says, so let your light shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. And I would just encourage you, you might not think of ever going to the mission field, but I don't think you need to. I think God has given you a purpose. He's given you a set of talents. He's given you giftings. And there's a mission field right here, right in front of you that he would desire you to be a part of taking the gospel too. You know, let us not minimize the vocation that we have. That vocation is a tool that God has given you to take the gospel into a place that Pastor Robert, no other pastor can go. And when you think of it in those terms, all of a sudden, every vocation, every walk of life, every community, it, it, it has a purpose. Amen? None of us can walk out of these doors and say, well, I guess I, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Well, where are you right now? What is it that you do? The gospel needs to go in there. Use your job, use your vocation as the means to get you to a place where not many other people can go. One of the most, and I'm I'm about to close, but one of the most significant things that we have done over the years in Uganda has been ministering to the kids. Uganda had one of the highest birth rates in the world, 6.2 children per woman. 52% of the population is under age 15. Lots of children lots of souls that Christ loves. And I remember when we first began the ministry, we started, we realized these kids need Jesus. And so we started a kids club, one of the first Sundays there. And that kids club has been going on for the last 14 years. And every single Saturday, about between two and 500 kids come to our property for, for kids club. And these kids, which we've known since they were just three or four feet high. You know, a lot of them have gone through university. They've gotten married. They've embraced the word of God. They're living by its truth. And now they're back in the church. And they are the ones from among us that are rebuilding the waste places. It's, it's those, peop- those young people as they're working and marrying that are transforming that society that is there. Along with the kids club, which Pottersfield Ministry has come alongside and helped us run, is the Ignite program. And as much as I have a heart for Ugandan kids, I have a heart for American youth too. And I've seen what six months in another culture will do to a young American who doesn't really know what they want to do in life. And I think that what um, Pottersfield is doing with their Ignite program is, is wonderful. It, it has transformed the kids that have come and served with us in Entebbe. They'll do a lot of interesting things, wear interesting clothes, live in interesting places. And uh, um, I know that if any of you have children um, that are interested in participating in that, I would encourage it. Between high school and college, before they've made the big decisions in their life about what they're going to do, spend a year serving the Lord and let the Lord work on their mind and heart and maybe give them direction about uh, the future course of their life. And that brings me to my last lesson, and that is that there is an unreached people group with every new generation. Many people say that America is a Christian nation, but honestly, I think we've, we've largely lost our young generation, and we need to reach out to the generation that is this young generation that is, is around us. Isaiah 54 verse 13 says, all your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be their peace. The last day that I was there, and I'll end with this, 
Actually, the reason that we left when we did, it was September 30th, it was a Saturday, and it was to conduct a wedding. And it was, a, it was these two dear people, Daniel on the left there, Jane in the middle. And Jane was a girl that uh, grew up in a, in a very difficult circumstance. But I remember her, she came to Bible school very early on. She was one of my students. Um, she followed us to Entebbe, and ever since then, she's just been one of the most faithful workers. And I remember when she came to me and said, Pastor, I think I found the person God wants me to marry. And she brought Daniel with him. Daniel was one of the young men that served along with us. And I just so loved what I saw because here were two young people that did not have a good legacy given to them. The examples that were given to them by their parents were largely destructive, uh, certainly not helpful. But these two young people wanted to do it right. They wanted to do marriage right. And their process of getting married took three years because they had to convince both sides of the family. They had to walk through this very difficult process of getting introduced and getting everyone's approval and finally getting married. So it was certainly a joyful day, but it represents so much of what I see God is doing there today. God is, has brought his word into a society that had either not known his word or had forgotten his word and that had become broken down as a result. And God is transforming them. Romans tells us, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it's so true. God's word implanted in our mind and heart will bring transformation. And that's what we as a church, what we are called to. And I pray, brothers and sisters, that we who have this treasure, this treasure of Jesus Christ, this treasure of the gospel message, that we would not be ashamed of this beautiful thing that we hold But like it says in Isaiah chapter 61, that we would be excited to be part of the redeeming process that God wants to bring into the world. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for allowing me to come and share.